0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Hopefully that's a great way to start your Sunday morning, right? (laughs) Well, last Sunday was Father's Day, and we gathered as living communities last Sunday, and uh, we gathered corporately on Mother's Day. And so I'm taking this morning to just kind of do some post-Father's Day message, if you will. So I need all the men to stand up, if you would. If you're 13 years of age and older, I need you to stand up, if you would. God's laid it on my heart as a means of a post-Father's Day message or messages to speak directly to the men, speak directly to men who are following Christ, men who desire to be men of Christ in their homes, in their marriages, in their families, um, in the workplace, uh, in their schools, in their campuses. And so this morning, I'm going to start a, just a, a two-message series speaking directly to men, to the men of the church. And so men, I want you to listen well, I want you to listen hard, because uh, some of the things I'm going to say to us this morning and in two weeks might not be easy for us to to hear or to take, but we need to be heard, or we need to hear these truths. Guys, you can be seated. You know, that being said, we want to take just a, a quick moment to honor the fathers and the men, but as men, we need at times to be challenged, we need to be taught, and at times, guys, we need to be rebuked. And we need to be encouraged. If, you truly, if you're here and you truly desire to be a man of Christ in your home, in your family, in your friendships, your relationships, in the community in which you live, in the workplace, it takes a lot. It's tough to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. It's tough. But f- first things first, I, I do want to say this. We are blessed as a church to have many men in our church and among our church who are men of Christ who are men who lead well, they lead their families, they love their families, they lead and live Christ in in the workplace, on the campuses, in their schools. They make Christ known, and they wear the name of Christ so well. And you need to know that as a church body, that we are blessed as a church to have many men in this church who live Christ and make Christ known and wear His name so well. But again, that being said, men, we still need to be taught, we still need to be challenged, because in this culture... As men of Christ, we are surrounded with lies. We're surrounded with lies. We have the lies of pornography. We have the lies of adultery. We have the lies of greed. We have the lies of trying to find success in work, those kinds of things, things that that they confront us every day. And if you're a man of Christ and you truly desire to follow Christ, you're confronted with these lies everywhere you turn. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I received a phone call from a single man here in in Living Church, and he was on a business trip, and he was kind of detailing for me, describing for me uh, this business trip that he'd just come off of. And he's a man of Christ, desires to, to live Christ in the workplace, and he was describing for me how difficult it was at times because his coworkers that he was there on this business trip with, after work, they'd go to the bar, and they'd seek to get drunk and then from there they'd head to the nude bar and 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 be part participate in all of that and they were and obviously inviting him to go and 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 to come and and his comments to me were, you know, I, I I didn't give in to that. I said no and I just stayed at the hotel. But he said, you know, I'm a young man and I'm single and I want to follow Christ. I want to live Christ in the workplace. Are there are there guys that have gone before me who love Jesus and, and how do they do this? How to you know How do they live this Jesus thing out in in, in the workplace? Because on this business trip, he was just doing work. He was bombarded with the lies that confronted him. I remember as a youth pastor, I would have young teen men come into my office weeping because they were addicted to pornography. I mean, we're driving home from vacation just a week ago on Interstate 64 going through Beckley, West Virginia. Beautiful drive, except for a couple of the billboards. Two of them were on the right-hand side was a billboard that was advertising a gentleman's club. And then on the left-hand side was another billboard advertising a similar thing. And on it, it said this phrase. It says, totally nude bar. Right there. I got two young men in the back seat, and I'm hoping that they're consumed with their technology at that moment which I think they were, and I've just revealed to him what was there. Sorry, Grant. (laughs) We'll talk later. So no matter where you turn, no matter where you look, and now it's at our fingertips, right, because it's on our smartphones, guys. It's right there. I mean, it is tough to be a man of Christ in a culture where we are surrounded by lies, and these lies, they're like attractive bait, and they just kind of are thrown in front of us, and they're trying to lure us in, trying to reel us in. And when we take it, what happens, what really happens is it steals our identity in Christ. They're a bunch of lies that can destroy our family. We're left with shame and guilt. And so how do you and me as men, men who desire to follow Christ, how do we be Christ's men in a culture that so desperately needs Christ? And just because it's tough to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ does not mean it's impossible and doesn't give you, man, and me an excuse for splashing around in our secret sins. Don't blame culture. Don't blame the lies. Don't blame what's in front of you. Just because it's tough to be a man of Christ doesn't give us an excuse as men of Christ, again, to splash around on those secret sins. So how do we do this? How do you and I, as men of Christ, resist these lies, these temptations, while our culture is in such a desperate need of this Jesus? And so this morning, I want to bring a a two-part message. This morning will be the part one, and then two weeks from now, we'll conclude it with the second part of the message Because we're going to go to the book of Titus, and you're welcome to turn there with me to the back of your Bibles. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul answers the question, how to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. He answers this question for us. The Bible is so relevant for us today. And right here in Titus chapter 1 and 2, in fact, the whole letter, Paul addresses what right living, gospel living looks like in a culture that needs Jesus. And so if you're here and you're a man of Christ that truly desires to say no to those lies and yes to following Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit, this letter to Titus is for you. It's for me. Because in this letter, Paul is going to reveal to us as men the traits The traits, what it looks like to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. But I love Paul because it doesn't just leave us with the what, he tells us also the how. How do we do this? How do we be these men of Christ in a culture that needs Christ? We'll look at the how two weeks from today. This morning we want to specifically look at the traits that Paul reveals for being a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. Now ladies, let me speak to you. Just because the, these two messages are directed specifically to, to the men does not mean you can check out and not listen. All right? You need to listen. Because if you're married or you're in a relationship or you desire to be married someday, remarried, you have a son, you have some male friends in your life who you desire to, for them to follow Christ, what you're going to hear today and in the two weeks, you need to know and you need to listen well to. Because it's going to help you know, how can I pray for the man in my life? Not condemn. It's not your job to convict him, so you don't need to be doing this. All right, did you get that last point? Now let the Spirit of God do that. What you need to do is you need to listen, and you need to pray for the man in your life. And then you're going to become aware of those traits that he desires to have in his life, to be the man of Christ that you want him to be, and that you need him to be. So it's time for you to come around him and say, if he is these traits and he's living out these traits, tell him thank you. Thank you. And it's gonna, these traits are going to help you know how best to prepare him or not prepare him, but pray for him and encourage him in this journey of being a man of Christ. So Titus, let's turn there. A little bit of background before we look at Paul's answer to how to be, a, how to be Christ's man in a culture that needs Christ. We need to have a little bit of background to this letter that Paul writes to Titus. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1 It tells us who wrote the letter. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So this is a letter written by Paul. If you look at verse 4 in chapter 1, it tells you who he's writing it to. He's writing it to Titus, and he describes Titus as my true son in our common faith. So this is a letter written in the first century. The church movement has kind of taken off at this point. You have Christians in, in different continents, different parts of the world. You have Christians meeting in homes. And we see that in verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, They must be silent about false teachers because they're ruining whole households. And by that, Titus or Paul is saying that you have churches, the church, the people of Christ, meeting in homes. And what you had in the first century is you had made disciples of Christ who were moving out, making Christ known, new disciples were being made, and these new disciples then were gathering in homes, and you saw then the multiplication of these homes all throughout the first century. So if you ever wonder why we do what we do at Living Church, why we focus on made disciples moving out, making new disciples, moving into multiplying church communities, meeting in homes, here's a great illustration where we get it from. We believe it's New Testament biblical Christianity. That's why we're so important, and Tim mentioned it, about the living communities, Christians gathering in homes and seeing those multiply. But this letter is written in the first century by Paul, who was a terrorist before he came to know Christ. And when he came to know Christ, he became a missionary for Jesus Christ. Jesus radically transformed his life. And he would travel, get some guys together, and he would travel around and to different parts of the world. And he would take these guys with him, and he would communicate the good news about Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus Christ to the different people around the world. And one of the guys he took with him was a young man named Titus. And at one point in their journey, they landed on the island of Crete. In verse 5, Paul says, The reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So at some point, Paul and Titus traveled to Crete together, to this little island south of Greece. They're on this island. They're telling people about Jesus. People are coming to know Jesus. They're gathering in homes together, these new Christians. It's kind of taking off. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to leave you on this island. I'm going to take off. I'm going to leave you on this island, and I need you to stay there and teach and train and organize church leadership over these new Christians on this island. And so that's kind of the purpose for for why Paul writes his letter. Now, the culture of Crete... It was a difficult culture. If you look at chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul is describing the culture of Crete. He says, even one of their own prophets, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Now, you know, Paul could be like, you know, and that's just kind of an over-exaggeration. Well, look at verse 13. This testimony is true. I mean, he's basically saying, that guy nailed it. He just just described the culture of Crete. They're evil, they're evil beasts, they're lazy, they're gluttonous, they're selfish, they only care about themselves, they're liars. I mean, that's the culture in which Titus is pastoring. This is the, the culture in which these new Christians are living out this gospel life found in Jesus Christ. And amidst all this, this culture of liars, evil beasts, gluttony, laziness, you have people that are infiltrating these homes of new Christians and teaching them things that aren't true. Verses 10 through 16, Paul describes false teachers, rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced, as he said. They're ruining whole households, and they're doing it for selfish gain. They're making money off of this. And then in verse 16, he describes them as they're people who claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So Paul's basically saying, listen, someone that truly believes Jesus, their actions, how they live, will show that they truly believe Jesus. You can tell a lot about what a person believes by watching their behavior And he's saying, when I watch the behavior of these false teachers, it's not matching the true belief of the gospel. And then he comes into chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, you, and he's contrasting the false teaching, he's saying, you, Titus, must teach that which is in accord with sound doctrine. He's saying, you need to teach the right living that's congruent, that's equal to what the gospel says. You need to teach it. He's saying basically, unlike the false teachers, you need to teach the women in your church the kind of living that reflects that they believe the gospel. So what's that kind of living look like? And then he goes on in verse 2 and following to describe the kind of living that's congruent with a person that believes the gospel. So if you're here and you know Jesus Christ and you claim to know Jesus Christ, there are behavior, there are traits that will match, that will reveal if you truly believe the gospel. And that's what Paul's communicating to Titus. He's saying, you, Titus, as a young pastor, need to teach the people in your church this. And he begins by addressing the men. Verse 2. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith and love and endurance. Now, Remember the situation. Here you have a young pastor, a group of Christians meeting in homes throughout the small island. They're finding themselves following Christ in a culture that's filled with lies, filled with people who are lazy. They're only concerned about themselves. There's evil everywhere they turn. These Christians are being bombarded by teachings that aren't equal to what Christ taught. So how do you follow Christ? How do you stick out, especially as we address the men? How do we as men of Christ stick out and make a difference for Jesus Christ in a culture that needs him? And Paul tells us, he says, teach the older men first to be temperate. And the word temperate, what's that mean? The word temperate literally means to not be addicted to wine. That's what it means. He's saying you need to teach the older men to be temperate. You need to teach the older men, teach the men to be men who are able to show restraint. A man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ is a man who does not become addicted to some substance. He's not controlled by a substance. He's controlled by the Spirit. Hear me again on that. A man of Christ who wants to stick out in a culture that needs Christ is a man that's not controlled by a substance, but he's controlled by the Spirit of Christ in it. And again, literally, it means not addicted to wine. He's a man that's able to show restraint. Let me give you an example in my own life. You will not find in Scripture where it says it is a sin to have a drink of alcohol, but you will find multiple times where it says it is a sin to become drunk. You will find that. Now, for me personally, when I go out to a restaurant, it doesn't matter what you put in front of me it could be water, it could be Coca Cola, it could be ketchup. All right, and I will have four or five of those babies. I I just will. And the bad thing about restaurants is what they do when you're almost empty, they just keep filling it. I have no idea how many, when I'm done, I've had. I just don't. I just, if it's there, it's going in me. Now, for me personally, I choose to show restraint and not have a drink because I don't trust myself. And so I choose personally to show complete restraint from it altogether. That's me personally. A man of Christ that's desiring to be temperate. But there are men, then women, who are able to have a drink and they're able to have, show that restraint and it not affect them and not become drunk. See, a man is an, of Christ who, who desires to stick out in a culture that needs Christ is a man who shows restraint. He's able to show restraint. Whether that's alcohol, whether that's food, whether that's video games, whatever, he's able to show restraint. You see, men who show restraint, men of Christ who show restraint, stick out on our culture because think of our culture. We live in a culture that says if it feels good, just do it and keep doing it. So when you're able to show restraint, you stick out. You stick out. So men, where in your life do you need to show restraint? What addictive behaviors, what actions are you involved in that are hurting you, your marriage, your family, your friendships? You see, men of Christ, we don't need to prove our manhood by showing people how many beers we can put away with our buddies. We don't need to prove our manhood by looking at porn on the internet or on our smartphones, men of Christ. We don't need to prove our manhood by any of those things. Why? Because our manhood has already been defined for us by Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Our identity is not found in what you can put away with your buddies on a weekend or your family on a weekend or what you're looking at. Your identity is found in who Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. That's your new identity. You're a man because Christ says you're a man. You're a man of Christ. So if you're trying to prove your manhood by those things, you need Jesus. You need to get back to Jesus. You need to be looking at Jesus again. See men of Christ who make a difference in this world for Christ are men who are who show restraint. They show restraint. They're also men who are worthy of respect. And the word worthy of respect or the phrase literally means they're men of character. They're honest. They're honorable. A man of Christ is a man who's honest in his relationships. He's honest with his wife. He's honest with his kids. He's honest with his friends and his relationships. He's honest with his boss, his neighbors. He's respected by those around him. You know, Jesus was worthy of respect. Jesus was worthy of respect. In 1 Peter chapter 2, describing Jesus, when they were hurling insults at him, it says, he said nothing. He could, there was no deceit found in him. He was a man worthy of respect. Men of Christ, we're going to make a difference in this culture that needs Christ. We need to be men who are worthy of respect. We need to be honest. This past week, our little seven-year-old Aislin wrote a little note to Andrea. And this is what she said. To, to mom... I love you very much. I love what you bake. But sometimes I don't like what you bake. (laughs) But you still love me. And you're the best mom in the world. OX, OX, OX. Love, Aislin. Honest. Honest. And men, we can take a lesson from my seven-year-old. We need to be Honest. We need to be, if you're a married man, you need to be honest with your wife. You have children, you need to be honest with your kids. Are you the type of guy that calls off sick from work and then goes to the ball game? You need to be men who are honest. Men of Christ are honest. They're worthy of respect. And when you're a man of Christ who's worthy of respect, you stick out. Why? Because we live in a culture that doesn't respect men anymore. So if you're going to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs Christ, you're going to stick out proclaiming Christ. You're going to be a man who's worthy of respect because your Jesus is worthy of respect. Now, if you're going to be a man of Christ sticking out in a culture that needs Christ, you're going to be temperate, you're going to show restraint. You're going to be a man worthy of respect, and you're going to be a man who's self-controlled, and that means to curb one's desires and impulses. A man of Christ is a man able to keep his desires and impulses in check. So when those thoughts of lust or the temper starts to rise or those thoughts of taking a little money out of the checking account to feed your habit or those thoughts or those temptations to look at the porn side or getting drunk with the family or the buddies on the weekend, a man of Christ is able to be aware of those dangers and he's able to walk away, leave the room. He's a man who's able to turn the channel. And it's interesting that this word, self-controlled, go to verse 6 quickly. Paul's telling Titus, this is what you teach the men of, in your church. So if I'm Titus, I'm responsible to teach the men who are present here among us these traits, to be men of Christ. And I'm talking to me as well. I need these in my life. And it's interesting in verse 6, he says, similarly, encourage the young men. And he tells the young men one trait. And it's this one, Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. So, if you're here and you're a young man of Christ, this is it. Learn self control. Learn it. You're not invincible. You're not. There are consequences for your decisions. And you, as a young man, need to learn right now. If you can learn this, you need to learn and practice self control. And you need to realize that you're not going to find your identity and your significance in anything else other than Jesus Christ, it's him and him alone. And you need to learn that now. And you need to funnel all your desires, all your impulses through the gospel. And who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Funnel it all through there. And what comes out is a man that looks like Jesus. A man who's following Jesus. And so older men, younger men, we need to be men who are self-controlled. Remember Jesus praying in the garden? What did he say to his father? He said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. His desire is if there be another way. And then what's his response? What's his next phrase? Get not what I want, but what you want. Jesus was self-controlled. An example of this that came to my mind was Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39? It says that he was young and handsome, and he's got this cougar named Potiphar's wife coming to him and saying, what? Hey, why don't you come to bed with me? Every young man's dream? Come to bed with me. And what's, what's Joseph's response? He says, how could I do such a wicked thing against my God? It all started with who, his view of who God was and his relationship with God. And it says day after day she said that to Joseph. And you know what Joseph's response was? He took off. He ran away. And then there's a little phrase later that says he not only ran away, but he, he just avoided even being with her. So man of Christ, young or older, self-control, what is it in your life that you need to just completely throw out? What do you need to get rid of? What's in your life? What habits? What are you looking at? What are you hearing? What are you doing that's destroying you as a man of Christ? It's destroying your family, destroying your marriage, destroying your relationships. If it's a smartphone, get rid of it. Go old school. Do it. Because men of Christ who stick out are men who are self-controlled. Because our culture produces men that are what? They self-indulge. Our culture produces men who self-indulge. The gospel produces men who are self-controlled. Because they look at their Jesus. And they see a Jesus who who is in complete control. And we as men of Christ say, I want to be like him. I want to be like the one who went to the cross for me. And so when you're a man of Christ and you're self-controlled, you stick out on a culture that needs Christ. Paul goes on. He says you need to teach him to be temperate. You need to teach him to be worthy of respect. You need to teach him to be self-controlled. You need to teach him to be sound in faith. And that literally means to know and hold to the teachings of Christ. If you're a man of Christ, then you're a man who commits himself to knowing Jesus. Like Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I even want to know his sufferings. That's how passionate Paul was about knowing Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, listen, if you're going to go make disciples, here's what you're going to do. You're going to baptize them, and then you're going to teach them to what? Obey the teachings that I've given. Obey them to do what I've commanded. So if you're a man of Christ and you desire to live Christ in this culture, you're going to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and a man who's sound in faith. You're going to be a man who spends time in the words of Christ. You're going to be a man that's going to be here learning about Jesus, discovering who he is and what he's done for you and the grace that you have because of Jesus. If you're going to be a man of Christ in a culture that needs him, you're going to be sound in faith. One of the most precious images I have of my dad was in the mornings when I would go to school in our house there in Mount Vernon, Ohio. You'd walk down the hall from my bedroom. I'd walk down the hall and to the right would be our kitchen and to the left would be our living room. And almost every single morning, you know, it's dark and you've got to get up and I'm groggy and school, eh, you know, you don't want to do any of this stuff, right? But I'll, this is an image I'll always have. I remember getting up in the morning, heading to the kitchen to get breakfast or whatever, and to the right was food for me. To the left was food for my dad, meaning he was here every single morning. He was in this little ugly orange chair, and he was either reading his Bible or he was on his knees praying. My dad today is a man who's sound in Faith. Because he was a man who knows Christ and he holds to the teachings of Christ because he's here. Because he wants to get to know his Jesus more and Jesus has given us all that we need for life and godliness in this book. These are the words of Christ to us, even Jesus said there were two guys walking on a road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize it was Jesus, and Jesus kind of pulls up beside him, and it says that he begins to tell these two guys, starting with Moses and the prophets, so the whole Old Testament, about himself. So, man of Christ, when you read the Old Testament, you know who you need to be looking for? Jesus. Man of Christ, when you're going to the New Testament, you want to know what you need to be looking for? You need to be looking, what does this tell me about Jesus? Because this book is about Jesus and his love for you as a man of Christ and how because of your sins he came to us, died on a cross and through faith in him and putting your faith in your whole life in Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross, you can have victory and freedom and forgiveness from these sins that enslave you. A man of Christ is a man who's sound in faith. And when you're sound in faith, you stick out. Why? Because our culture doesn't know what to believe anymore. The number one religious group growing in America is a group called the nuns. Not Catholic nuns, not N-U-N-S, nuns. N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Because they don't know what to believe, they don't know who to believe anymore. So when you're a man of Christ and you hold to the teachings of Christ and you're at work and you're telling people, man, this is why I live the way I live. This is the, why the decisions I make because of Jesus and what he's done for you, done for me. It's, it's amazing. When you start talking about Jesus and, and that you live your life in accordance with Jesus, you will stick out. It may mean you receive some, some insults here and there, but you will stick out. Because men of Christ who make a difference in a culture needing Christ, are men who are sound in faith, and they're also men who are sound in love. And the word love there means agape love. Man, this is a hard one. You know what agape means? It's a Greek word that means unconditional love. You see, a man of Christ is a man who loves regardless if he is loved in return. That's a hard one. All right, because I... I'll admit, man, I want to be loved. I want people to like me. You know, I want want to perform in a way or do things in a way that will get the accolades of people. But a man of Christ is a man who, that doesn't mean anything, or he he gets through that, and he loves regardless. This is a man who loves his wife even when her words hurt. This is a man who sacrifices for his friends, his family, his relationships, for those in, in the workplace. This is a man of Christ who loves his community and realize that there are people next door to him who need Jesus. This is a man who loves like 1 Corinthians 13. This is a man who's patient, who's kind, who doesn't keep record of wrongs. You don't hold grudges against your family. Or against your, those in your, the, you're involved in relationships with. You don't keep a record of wrongs. It's a man who is sound in love. is a man who loves like 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. You have the example of Jesus. Remember Jesus on the cross? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You talk about love. Jesus was sound in love. This last week, we spent a week of vacation with uh, Andrea's side of the family. And there's a young couple there, Adrian and John Bradley. Um, Adrian is, is my niece through Andrea's side. And they're in their early 20s. And we sang in their wedding about four years ago. It was a beautiful wedding. Live out way in the country in Virginia. And they had a full life ahead of them. After about the first year of marriage, something happened with John's body. Things started to shut down. Wasn't sure what was going on. His nerves, everything just got so heightened to the point to where she, Adrian, could no longer wear perfume or or have coffee because just the smells would drive him crazy physically, would do do something physically. We don't even know still to this day what it is. And they were at the beach and they had to bring in a specific recliner. So my nephew put in his minivan, drove it, driving at six hours, John's recliner. And they bring it all down and we put it up there in the in the, in the middle room and in the big room where everybody was and, and all the hubbub was going. And there's John just sitting there the whole time. Maybe a couple times a day he'd get up and walk around, but Every day he would just sit in that recliner. And he just sit there because that's all he could do. But then you watch Adrian. And you watch a young woman who loves this man so unconditionally. It is amazing. Her attitude, smile on her face. She'll be honest with you. She doesn't get it. She doesn't know why God has allowed this to happen. She doesn't like it. But she so faithfully and selflessly loves John. And you just watch her because there's certain foods. There's a ton of foods he can't eat, so she's got to fix this kind of food every single time and and kind of wait on him every time he needs something. And she would just go do it so selflessly, so unconditionally. They're in their mid-20s, and they they have no hope that he will ever get better. None. But she continues to be what? Sound in love love. And men of Christ, we can take a lesson from a 20-something young lady and learn what love looks like in our families, in the workplace, in our communities. And when you love like that, what happens? You stick out because we have men who walk away from love. They walk away from those they love when life gets hard. Men who are sound in love stick out. So men, how are you doing at loving those in your home without condition? How about at work? How about in your relationships? Men of Christ, let me challenge you, challenge me to be men who are sound in love. And then Paul concludes his list to the older men and to the men. We can put the younger men in this list, I believe, as well. He says men of Christ in a culture that need Christ are men who are sound in endurance. And that means they don't swerve away from their loyalty to Christ when life gets hard or in the midst of suffering. See, a man of Christ is a man who clings to Christ when life hurts. A man of Christ, when life hurts, you may not understand the purposes of your pain, but you will know that your God is good and true, and that ultimately your joy is not found in your circumstance, but in Christ. A man of Christ who's sound in endurance is a man who will endure persecution for Christ because he has learned that Christ is worthy of such persecution. This man does not give up on Jesus because he knows Jesus never gave up on him. He's sound in endurance. The writer's to Hebrews tells us that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, what's the word, endured the cross And then the writer tells us as the church, he says, now look to this Jesus who endured the cross and who endured such opposition so that when you're receiving pain in your life, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus was sound in endurance. Patrick McGoldrick, whom some of us may know, was a man who was sound in endurance. I got to know Patrick many years ago while we were youth pastors, and we spoke at a a conference, a teen conference together, and and got our youth groups together on occasion, and just built a good friendship and relationship together. We did some youth pastor retreats together, and I got to know him well. In 2011, Patrick was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, which basically shuts down your body. In his mid 40s, amazing dad, amazing pastor, amazing friend, loves Jesus. And so in 2011, he gets this news that his body is shutting down and it's just a matter of time. And six months ago, in December of 2012, he passed away. I want to read to you an excerpt from Patrick's blog just three weeks before he passed away because this was a man who was sound in endurance. He says, with ALS, there is no battle plan. Instead, you read the info on the web and the booklets the clinic hands you and you wait to lose every muscle and every freedom you've had. I wish that I could truthfully say that I wouldn't trade this year for anything, that I've learned to embrace and enjoy this suffering, but I can't. I wouldn't wish this disease on anyone. I have had many worse days of my life since last December because each week is more awful than the last. It's supposed to be a good thing that the mind doesn't deteriorate with the rest of the body. But I have to admit that lately I wish I was confused and didn't know what was going on. Basically, I'm a prisoner in my own body. I can no longer use my iPad because my fingers are so tightly curled a crowbar couldn't open them. Outside of my peg feeding tube, I swallow only a few bites of pudding or broth each evening. I'm down to 160 pounds. I can't stand without help, and there's absolutely nothing I can do. I sleep more than half the day, and when I'm awake, the only things I can do are listen and watch. So a year later, I am ready. I know my time is down to weeks, not months. I've accepted that this is the path God placed me on. I would not have chosen it. I don't like it. He's a man, he's worthy of respect. He's being honest. However, I am submitted that God, in his sovereignty, decided before all of time to give me a shorter life on earth. How does he know that? Because he's a man who's sound in faith. And if it keeps his name going forward and promotes his kingdom, then who am I to question it? Who am I but God's servant placed here to bring him glory? It's not supposed to be about me. It's about him. If this promotes his kingdom in Christ's name, then so be it. And just like Joseph, Job, Daniel, Esther, and many others throughout Scripture who ended up in circumstances that they did not ask for and they surely did not like, I daily must choose to focus on submitting to God's will. Crying out for his grace and pointing to my Savior. After all, my sins are still my worst problem, and Christ took care of that. My prayer is that I can stand before God and say what Jesus said in John 17:4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That is a man who is sound in endurance. That is a man of Christ who's made an incredible impact in a culture that needs Christ because he's a man who's sound in endurance, a man who's sound in faith, a man who's sound in love, a man who's worthy of respect and temperate. Let me speak to everyone in the room this morning. In this letter to Titus, Paul reveals for us the traits, and we're directing this toward the men The traits, what a man who follows Christ looks like when life gets hard and when the culture around us so desperately needs Jesus. But if you're like me, and you're a man who desires to follow Christ, I take these traits, right? And I stand them right up next to me, and you know what I think? Forget it. How am I supposed to be this kind of man? I, I look at that list and I go, I fail there, I fail there, I fail there, fail a lot there. How are we supposed to do this, guys? Thankfully, Paul does not just leave us with the what. He tells us how. He tells us how. Now, big spoiler for two weeks from now, all right? We're going to just hit it quick, and then we'll hit it more deeply in two weeks. But I don't want to just leave us with this big list of you need to be a man of Christ and live out all these traits without knowing... How do I do this? I want to be a man of Christ in my home, in my relationships, in the workplace, but how do I? Is there something that equips me, that drives me, that empowers me, that will carry me through as I be this man of Christ, making a difference for him? And the answer is yes, there is a truth. There is a truth that drives us to be men of Christ. And Paul tells us the truth in verse 11 and following in chapter 2 of Titus. It's an amazing truth. And so if you're here and you're a man and you're going, I feel the weight of this responsibility and I can't do this on my own, you are thinking right. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. Thankfully, we don't do this on our own. God has given us an amazing truth that drives us, that encourages us, that propels us, that equips us to be these men of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. And here's the truth. Verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it's this grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Did you see that? What's the truth that drives us to be men of Christ? It's God's grace. It's knowing what Jesus has done for us, and that man of Christ, you are fully loved. And that even when you fail in some of these traits, Forgiveness is there for you through Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Your identity is not found in being that man at work or being the man in them. Your identity is found in Christ, and it's the grace of God. And so, man of Christ, you are loved this morning, and even in the midst of your sin and failure, forgiveness is available to us. You, We are loved, and Christ is pouring out his love on us as men. It's an amazing truth. I need all the men to stand again. I want you all to stand again. I want to ask you a question, guys. Don't answer out loud. Answer to yourself. What's your takeaway from this morning? What's your takeaway? Paul has revealed to us as men the traits, what it looks like to be men of Christ in a culture that needs Christ. Ladies, I want you right where you are, just in quietness of your own heart, to be praying for all the men standing. Pray for us. But, man, what's your takeaway? What's your next move? Maybe your next move is to say, I don't even know this Jesus but I want to know this Jesus. And your first move is to call on Jesus, to come forgive you of your sin, to give you a new heart, and equip you with his grace to be this man of Christ in this culture. If that's your move, make that move right now. Just call on him. And the Bible says he will rescue your heart. He will save you and make you right with God. Maybe your move, man, is to to go confess to your wife, to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Or to your kids, or to your family, or to your boss, to your friends, to. The relationships that you're involved with. What's your move? Maybe you just say, I need another man to do this journey with. Grab someone in the room. Say, Mark, come to me. Talk to me. I need some guys around me that will help me live this journey. Be a man of Christ. We'll get you connected. But what's your takeaway, man of Christ? What's what's your next move? And as we leave, know that it's the grace of God that empowers us to be these men of Christ. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us everybody to stand. Everybody, ladies, join them in. And I want to take the next just couple minutes to just something that we do typically every gathering as we get in small huddles and we pray for one another. And that's what I want us to do at this time. So I want you to turn around and maybe introduce yourself if you don't know the people near you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for the men of Living Church that pray specifically and ask God, God, help these men to be men of Christ. Help us to be men of Christ who know Jesus, live Jesus, make Jesus known as Paul's revealed in Titus. So do that now. Pray for the men of Living Church this morning. Do that now.